Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We get to open the gifts that God has given us. And so my hope in this series is that we would become aware that one, that there's a gift for you from Jesus by his grace. And two, that you'd become aware of it and that you would get excited about it and you'd want to rip that gift open and begin to explore what God has for you and what God has for this church as we go and we minister to the world together in humility and unity to be God's lived presence to the world. It's beautiful when we begin to realize that God has wired us in certain ways for his kingdom and for his glory and for our joy. And so that's what this series is about. And so if you're looking at this list, if you're looking at this list and you're like, I need to grow or I need to, I need to become more like this and I need to do it on my own strength, you've missed the point. The point is that it's a gift and it's been measured and it's been given by Jesus and he wants you to explore that gift. He wants you to receive it. And he wants you to walk it out faithfully in community with him and with one another. And so where we find these gifts is in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the churches. And he's writing to the churches general. And so that includes you and me. And he says that there are these gifts that God has given so that we could go and be God's lives presence to the world. And I want to read Ephesians 4 to us this morning as we have each week, because it's, I feel like it's so beautiful. We can, we can pause, and we can like just go over the list of the gifts and be like, oh, that's there, but like what's before the gifts and what's after the gifts is so beautiful, and it's so important that as we go to apply these gifts, that we would apply them in the ways that, that Paul and Jesus has attended for us as he speaks to it here in Ephesians chapter 4. So this is what Paul says to the churches. He says, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope in your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the gifts that he were given was that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us have come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, and by their craftiness and their deceitful scheming. But we must speak the truth in love, and we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined in it together, by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth, and it builds itself up in love. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for these gifts that you've given the church. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us individually and that we together get to walk it out corporately and in unity together. And God, I pray that you would grow us in humility around these gifts. God, I pray that you would grow us in gentleness and kindness and your fruits of your spirit around these gifts as we go to apply them to the world. And God, I also pray that you would just grow us in unity 
that you would show us how these gifts work together and how we need one another and that we would invite one another into community and that we would go together and that your kingdom would grow into this city through Damascus Road Church, God. God, we pray that you would begin a good work in us and God, that you would bring it to completion. God, we thank you for your grace and the good gifts that you give us for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we reviewed kind of the five gifts. If you want to throw that up there, Olivia. The five gifts are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And when we look at this list, you can break this list down into two different groups. There are two different groups that are in this list. There's one group that are called the pioneers. And so the last three weeks we have spent time, if you want to go to the next slide, the last three weeks, we've spent time talking about the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. And these people are called the pioneers. These people are out, and they live in a direction that is out into the community, and that's out towards the non-believer. And so if we look at the apostle, we see the apostle is one who wants to see the kingdom of God advance in their communities. They want to see the kingdom of God advance in their workplaces. They want to see the kingdom of God explode out of the church into every corner of the world. This is the heart of the apostle. And so the apostle is a pioneer who goes out and takes new ground. The prophet is one whose heart is set on the justice and righteousness of God. And they don't want to just see the justice and righteousness of God lived for, for God's people, but they want to see God's justice and righteousness explode around the world for God's kingdom, that people would be set free, that people would know God, and that people would have freedom. And so the prophet is exploring, and they're on the front lines, and they go out, and they pioneer, and they take new ground. The heart of the prophet is this from Jeremiah 29.7. The prophet is this. He says, it says, seek the welfare of your city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the heart of the prophet, that the prophet would go out and have a heart for their city and that God's justice and righteousness would reign there. The evangelist their heart is to see new people brought into the kingdom of God. And so new people being brought into the kingdom of God isn't going to happen here within the church, but it is going to require to go out and to pioneer and to create new relationships and develop relationships and to meet people of peace and to invite them into shared life together where they would be able to meet Jesus and know Jesus and come to follow him and be brought together. And so those are kind of the first three gifts is that they are pioneering gifts. They take new ground. But the thing is that we can't just have a church full of pioneers. A church full of pioneers creates a church that's unbalanced. And what would happen is if we were all pioneers, if we were all going out, is that we'd be a church of really thin soil. We'd be like in the parable of Jesus where the, the gospel gets spread out and it gets spread out on the thin soil and there's quick and fast growth, but there's no depth. And that growth fades and everything withers and it collapses. What the pioneers need to come beside with it are the developers, because the developers keep the land that has been taken by the pioneers, and they cultivate it, and they grow it, and they mature it, and they bring out the depth of growth and fruit that could be there that the pioneers have just taken over. They bring order, they bring structure, they bring unity. And so if for the last three weeks you've been in this series and you're like, these gifts don't feel like me, news is you're probably not a pioneer but you're probably a developer. 
And we need developers. And the developers are the teachers and the shepherds that are among us. And we need you to be able to grow us, to be able to mature us, and to be able to bring us to the fullness of God's kingdom and what God wants for us. And so you guys look into the church, and you look at relationships, and you grow us in God's truth, and you grow us in God's care, and you create structures for God's care and God's truth to be grown up within us. And even the pioneers need to spend time with the developers so that they can go out and be mature developers out into the city as we take more land. You see, we, the church, we need one another. We need each other's gifts. The same is true as if we were a church of just developers. If we were a church of just developers, we would become the soil that's thorny. And we would begin to choke out new growth. We'd be able to choke out new potential growth and new areas of of exploration. And eventually, we would choke it out to the point that we would become the hard soil, and there would be no growth that happens at all. You see, the Church of Pioneers is an immature church, and the Church of Just Developers is just an immature church also, but in the opposite direction. And what we need in the way that God has gifted us beautifully in these giftings is that we need each other. We need the pioneers to go forth and take new land, and we need the developers to follow behind it and to cultivate that land and to plant and to grow and to bear fruit, and that the kingdom of God would advance between the pioneers and the developers. And so today, we're going to jump into the developers, and we're going to talk about the teacher. We're going to talk about what it is to be a teacher and what it is to grow as a teacher and to invite others to be, to be taught under your care. And you have an incredible gift that we, the church, needs. And so the teacher, to bring some definition to it, is one who holds truth and is excited about it and wants others to experience it. And they hold it out so that others can experience it. And so when we look at scripture, what we find is that Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Jesus is the teacher. He is the teacher that we need. He is the teacher that we go to. He is the teacher of teachers. Every teacher that has ever taught anything true has learned it from the teacher that is Jesus. When Jesus shows up in the New Testament, he shows up as a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish teacher, and he's recognized by not only his disciples as this, but everyone around the culture sees Jesus as a rabbi, and they come up to him and they greet him as teachers. They see him, Jesus, you are our teacher. You have something that is true that you can give to us and that we can know that truth and grow up in it and walk it out in our lives, and our lives can be changed because of the truth that you have to give us. And so Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, though, he does things differently than all the other rabbis. So Jesus, as a rabbi, what would normally happen is as a rabbi is that you would be this profound teacher, and you'd have people coming up to you asking to be your disciple. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus doesn't take interviews to be his disciple. And normally the people that would interview to be the disciples of a rabbi, they were like top of their class. They had gone to school, they had memorized the entire Old Testament, they had memorized the law, they had memorized different teachings around the law, and they would go around from rabbi to rabbi to try and impress that teacher until that teacher said to them, come, follow me. And that rabbi would then include them in their yoke, and they would follow them. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus doesn't go out looking for the best of the best. Instead, he actually goes out to the seashore where there's some dudes fishing, fishing, 
with their dad, which means that they've dropped out of school. They've learned the family trade, and Jesus just calls out to them, and he says, hey, guys, come and follow me. And in this, in this season and in this culture, if you had a rabbi call out to you and say, hey, come follow me, you would drop your nuts. You'd say, you mean me, Jesus? Are you sure? He's like, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in this invitation to come, follow me, there was this implication that the rabbi was saying to the person that they were inviting to follow them was, I believe that you can do what I do. And I believe that's what a teacher is. I believe that's what a teacher does. A teacher brings people along and invites them along to share life together and says, you can do what I can do. And Jesus not only says that, but as he's about to be (coughs) executed and as he's about to ascend into heaven, he takes his disciples together. Not only does he say, I believe that you can do what I do, but he's like, I believe that you're going to do even greater things than this. He tells his disciples, I know you've shared life with me. I know I've given you all that you need. I know that you know that I am the truth. But he's like, but there's more that is to be learned. There's more that I'm going to reveal to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to be your teacher. And we see the church explode as the Holy Spirit teaches the church what it is to go after the heart of God. And so Jesus in the New Testament, he is the teacher. But not only is he the teacher, but he is also the truth. We said that the teacher is one who holds truth, who is excited about it, and who holds it out for others to experience it. And so Jesus, not only is he the teacher, but he is also the source of truth. He is the truth. In John, he's talking with his disciples, and Jesus says this. He says, when he finished saying these things, sorry, I jumped ahead. In John 14, he says this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you knew me, and knew, you will also know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is saying, I am the Father who's took on flesh. I am the truth of the world. And when we go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, it's affirmed even further. Paul says, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, and in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, you and me. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning, and he's the firstborn of the dead, so that we might come and have first place in everything. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of God. Of his cross. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to reconciliation. Jesus is the way to life. And so when the Bible talks about truth, or when the Bible talks about life, or when the Bible talks about the word, it's talking about Jesus. And so a teacher is someone who shows people who knows Jesus and who is excited about Jesus and wants to show Jesus and give Jesus to other people. Jesus also teaches from an incredible place of humility. And he meets us right where we're at. Who here is exhausted? Who's here tired? I've got a baby. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. 
Jesus, the king of the world, who is truth incarnate, this is how he greets us. This is how he meets us. And this is how he wants to teach us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says this. It says, come to me, all you are weary and who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We normally stop there. We really like that part. But he also says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus isn't inviting us to a vacation, but he's inviting us to go to school with him. But in school, we're going to be trained and we're going to be taught in his truth and his ways and the ways that bring him glory and our lives joy in a way that will bring our souls rest and that will lead us into new life. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is the teacher and he's the coursework, and he's the material, and he's the truth. And he's gifted our church with teachers to begin to reveal the heart of God and to meet people where they're at in ways that are inviting and gentle and that bring you along great into further knowledge and wisdom of his kingdom that will bring him glory and you joy if we learn to apply them. And so if you are a teacher, the question is, what does this teaching look like? What is the primary question that the teacher is asking? And the primary question that the teacher is asking is, are God's people immersed in Scripture? And you could also say in the Word, which would be Jesus and truth. So are God's people immersed in the truth of Jesus in Scripture? And are they living it out? That's the question of the teacher. That's at the heart of the teachers. Do people know the truth, and do they know him in a way that it's transforming their lives and that they're able to walk it out? The teacher isn't necessarily interested in just head knowledge, but they're interested in application and wisdom and understanding. And so when we look at a teacher, a teacher is someone who brings greater wisdom and understanding to God's word. And in that, they create a love and they cultivate a love for Scripture. Sometimes scripture is really dry. Sometimes scripture is really hard to digest. But when you come across a really good teacher who's able to open up the word and open up our eyes and meet us where we're at, scripture becomes beautiful. And we begin to hunger after it in our souls. This is the gift of a good teacher. A good teacher will make us hunger after the word of God. And then we'll begin to realize that the word of God isn't just this ancient text that doesn't have any meaning for us. But it's this deep well of living water and of life and where the heart of God resides. And that Jesus has come to live and fulfill. And what we find is that the person who loves Scripture, the teacher, understands the reality that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God, (laughs) Paul says the saints, he calls us the saints, so that the church, you could say, so that the church may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Church, God has given us good work to go live into, amen? And he wants to equip us with that good work through the work of the teachers that we might know God's heart so that we might know how we should go out into the world and live out those good works that he has for us. And so what we need to do is, is what we see is that a teacher is also really good at developing new tools and new systems. And they're able to take this old truth and present it in a new way that captivates us and grabs us. They're developers. 
the teacher is one of the ultimate developers that builds up the people that are around us. So what we have to be wary of is the immature teacher. We've got to look out for them. The immature teacher is someone who worships the Bible instead of God. And they see that the Bible is this tool to be up others with and to see how they can be more right than others instead of seeing it as a tool to know God and to love others through it. So the immature teacher will be interested in acquiring knowledge and puffing themselves up. In Colossians, in the first chapter of Corinthians, sorry, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so the immature teacher is one who just goes around and acquires knowledge so that they can feel puffed up. They're the people who think that if they just had enough knowledge of who God was, that they'd be able to save themselves. The problem with the people who go out and just acquire a bunch of knowledge about God and who don't know how to share it well with grace and with love and they don't know how to apply it, they become hypocrites. And this is who Jesus confronts through a large portion of the Bible is that there are the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees who have a ton of head knowledge of who God is, but they have no heart knowledge of who God is. There are a bunch of teachers who have puffed themselves up and they have not taken the time to build up those who are around them. And so the immature teacher knows that Jesus wants to call you into a place of maturity. He wants to call you into a place where you can build up others, where you can use the gifts that he's given you, not just so that you could go around feeling self-righteous and right and true all the time because I know truth with a capital T and you should too. And if you don't, then I'm going to hit you over the head with this capital T. Instead, we go with humility. We go with grace. We go as Jesus went, inviting people in, saying, are you weary? Are you tired? Do you need to find rest? Come and learn from me as I learn from the teacher. And together we will find rest together for our souls. And we will find truth that brings life and that brings joy to all that know it. And that's found in the heart of Jesus. A true teacher will take the truth that they've received from God and they'll begin to build up others around them in that truth. This is the gift of the teacher. This is why the teacher is one who's able to go to others and speak the truth in love. The mature teacher is one who goes humbly because they realize that they've received a gift. They realize that scripture is a gift, that there were teachers, that there are men who wrote down what God was like, that there are people that encountered God and experienced him and wrote it down so that they could teach others, so that we could have his word and so that we could know who he is, that we'd have a testimony of who God is and that we'd be able to go and live that out. Everyone who teaches understands that there was a teacher that went before them and passed on the information and the experiences that they had and that made it tangible so that they could have an experience with the truth, not just know the truth, but to have an experience with the truth that was able to change their lives. A mature teacher is one who is always learning. I believe that you cannot teach if you believe that you have known it all. If you finally got to this place of arrival where you know it all, where you know everything, you're probably not in a good place to teach anyone because you yourself have not allowed yourself to be teachable. There's always more to learn. There's always more to understand. 
The teacher understands that they cannot give away what they don't have. And so they know that they have to go out and experience it. They know that they need teachers and coaches themselves if they're going to teach and coach those who are around them. And finally, a mature teacher is one who meets people where they're at. They don't force themselves on others, but rather they give invitation. A mature teacher understands that the best type of teaching that they can do is living a life that's worth imitating. Like I said, the reason why we have children in church with us this morning is so that they can learn and observe and, and see what church life together in this space looks like imitated. And it's through imitation that we grow and learn and develop. Twice in his letter to Corinthians, Paul says, become imitators of me as I am imitators of Christ. Now, a lot of times we'd say, whoa, that's a bold move, Paul. Be imitators of me. But then Paul says, as I am imitators of Christ. And I think that we need to go around with the same heart as Paul and ask the question, what is it in your life that is worth imitating? How has God gifted you? How has God's grace been present in your life? How have you experienced the truth of Jesus in such a profound way that you are excited about it and you are able to hand it out to other people so that they can experience it too? That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying the best way that people can learn is through imitation and through walking out life together. And so when we think about imitation, there's just kind of four different steps that happen as we imitate the lives of others. And I want to break that down to us and show us how simple that is. And this is how people learn. I believe that this is how people learn developmentally, and this is how learning ends up sticking for people. And so the first step is that the teacher does everything, and you just watch. Teacher does, you watch. The second step in learning and imitation is that the teacher does, and you start to help out. You start to jump in. You're like, I think I, think I got this a little bit. And you jump in a little bit. Then eventually you jump into the point to where the teacher takes a little bit of a step back, and you're the one doing it now, and the teacher's here helping you. He's providing support. And then eventually you get to the place where you've imitated the teacher enough, and you've done it together, and you've shared life together enough, and you've shared this experience and this truth enough together to where you're able to go out and just do it, and the teacher just stands back and cheers. And they're like, way to go. Way to go. And then also the teacher can join in with you, and you can do it together. In a sense, this is what multiplication looks like. When we talk about multiplication, we talk about making disciples within the church. This is the process that we go through, and it's a process of imitation. It's a process of following Jesus, of sharing life together, and loving our neighbor. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how teachers teach, and this is how we as children learn. And this is how children learn all the time. If I look at my son Benjamin, for example... When he was just a little baby, he's almost three, but when he was a little baby, we'd sing wheels on the bus to him. And we'd just sing it over and over and over. And then eventually he got to this place where he'd start making the sounds. He'd be like, beep, 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 you know? And then eventually he'd start to like say, you know, he'd know the chorus, the wheels on the bus go round and round. And then eventually he'd get to the place where he'd start humming the song, and he'd start singing the song, and then he'd need some help where he'd forget the words. And so we'd jump in with him and help him out, and we'd give him the words. And then eventually, today, he can sing Wheels on the Bus to you with a bunch of gusto and joy, with all of the sound effects and everything. And in that, we taught Benjamin in the ways of the wheels of the bus. <laughs> right? 
And now he's got a little sister that he gets to turn around and sing that song to. And he's going to be a part of that learning process and that teaching process to Elizabeth. You see, it's really simple, and we see that this is the way that we learn. The problem is, is that it wrecks our paradigms for how, of what we think of teachers. A lot of times when we think of teachers, we think of like a sage on the stage, right? We think of you need a platform, you need an agenda, you need some teaching, you need some, some witty banter, you need some slideshows that you can put up and give to people. The reality is that this is probably one of the worst forms of communication, one of the worst forms of learning, but we do it every week, all right? And this is why the important thing is that we share life together. It's important what we do. It's important that we declare truth. It's important that we begin conversations. And when we started this series, I said, this will be a series that begins a conversation. We're just here to start it. We can't begin to get to the deeper layers. And this is where it's important that we share life together and we do discipleship together and that we need the teachers around us to rise up and begin to lead these conversations out among us, that we would know the heart of God and that we'd begin to experience it in shared life and community together. And that's where real learning and real teaching happens. When we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus teaches his disciples through imitation. He meets his disciples on a boat where they have no training, they have no schooling, they've dropped out, and he invites them, come follow me, I believe you can do what I do. And they say yes. They say yes to that. And they leave everything they have, and they go, and they follow him. And Jesus begins to invite other people to come follow him. And he creates this community of the 12 disciples around him. And he creates a community of 72 around him. And they travel from city to city. And Jesus begins healing people. He begins teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the truth of who God is and who he is as it reflects to God's word and scripture in the Old Testament and how he's the fulfillment of that. And he speaks in such a way that people are in awe that this man has authority like we've never seen. And so his disciples see this, they experience this, and then Jesus sends them out. He's like, all right, guys, pair off. Don't take anything with you. Go and meet people. Go heal people. Go serve people. Go minister to people. And they go out, and they stumble, and they fall, and they have troubles, and they come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we couldn't heal this guy. And he's like, oh, this one, let me tell you about this one. This one needed some prayer and fasting. That's what this one needs. And then he heals them. In that moment, it's a teachable moment. Jesus is at this kind of third phase of teaching and imitation is where he sends them out, and he's like, you guys do it, and I'll help you out when you need help. And so the disciples, they come with this man, and they're like, what do we do? Prayer and fasting, done. And they're like, okay, that's how we do that one. And they move on, and they grow, and they learn, and they experience the truth of who God is and his heart. And it's to minister and to build up and to develop those who are around him. When he goes to the synagogue, he imitates the heart of God. When he goes to the crowd, he imitates the heart of God through telling creative stories called parables that, guess what, meets people where they're at. They're an agricultural society. That's why he talks about seeds and soil and hard ground and thorns and thistles. These are things that they'd be familiar with, but he's teaching them the truths of the kingdom of God. Jesus is a brilliant teacher and he's imitating what it is to be a teacher to us as we go and teach others about him. 
And so for us to be teachers, for us to grow as teachers, we need to grow in our imitation of Jesus. We need to follow him, and we need to imitate after him, and we be, need to begin to put in the practices that Jesus has and begin to share life and live a life that's worth imitating towards others. The thing that we find about Jesus is that he just teaches wherever he's at. He just teaches wherever he's at. He doesn't need a stage. He doesn't need a pulpit. He's just meeting people, teaching people right where they're at. He's inviting them towards imitation, to imitate and follow him. One of the greatest teachers in my life, I would say, is my dad. My dad, he knows a lot of stuff, but he also, he's a really practical, pragmatic dude. You could give the guy a paperclip, and he could do 50 things with it. We call him a giver because he just... He knows how to do a lot with limited resources. And I've been able to watch him grow up. And so I've been able to learn how to do a lot with a couple of limited resources as well. And there's a number of times as, you know, as a homeowner, you don't realize what you know or don't know until you come across an experience where you're like, oh, I didn't know that. So, for example, one thing that my dad didn't imitate to me was to change the filter on the... Uh, on the, the heating and cooling system, because all we had was a, was a heater. And he's like, yeah, you change it about once a year. And so I was like, all right, we change it once a year. Well, one year came up, and like the air conditioner was not blowing cold air anymore. I'm like, what's going on? What happened? And he's like, it's because he didn't show me that you need to change the filter out probably once every three months to be able to have your air conditioner work because it got clogged up. There's a bunch of different areas in my life that dad taught me and that I know because he was, he's the man of 500 tricks. And one of the things that God taught me that stuck with me the most was his love for Jesus. When I was about five years old, my dad decided that we'd start going back to church. And he began to hear about Jesus and he began to learn about Jesus. And I remember one night he's reading in his bed and I caught her all up into his lap and he's reading the word of God. And he's like, you see those red letters there? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't know what they mean, but I know they're important. I'm like, all right. He's like, let's read them together. And so he'd start reading me the stories of Jesus in the NIV, language that I couldn't understand, language that I couldn't know. But in that moment, I knew the red letters were important. And because Jesus was important in my dad's life, Jesus became important in my life. And as my dad grew, I grew. And as my dad grew, my family grew. And as our family grew, we all grew up in our knowledge of Jesus to where now we're able to teach and serve one another and minister to one another. And we're able to go and teach and share Jesus to other people. But it began with a man who was humble and said, I know these red letters are important, even though I don't know what it's saying. And I was like, this is what the love of the word of God looks like. And he's like, but I'm going to find out. And so he found teachers that developed him, that grew him, that built him up to where he could be a teacher to his family. And so that we would know God, that we would know the hope of Jesus within us. And so I'm thankful for my dad and the way that he meets people where they are. So some things, if you are a teacher, you might be a teacher if first you are a learner. If you love learning if you love reading, if you love digesting information and truth, you probably have some teacher in you somewhere because you can't just store that all up and leave it inside. you got to give that away. 
The next thing is that you might be able to be a person who makes observations in people's lives and help makes the, make connections to where they can grow next. A person who is generally really good at making observations and connections are comedians. Comedians are actually incredible teachers because they're aware of everyday situations and they make us aware of it and they show us how funny and ridiculous they are, right? Comedians are teachers in our world. And so if you find yourself being the class clown, if you find yourself cracking the joke or the witty thing, there's probably strangely some teacher in you because you're able to make observations and connections that are meaningful to people. And if you move that into a place to where people can grow and people can encounter truths about themselves and truths about who God is and how God is working in their lives, you could be a key teacher in someone's life. You might be a teacher if you enjoy coming beside people and coaching them and loving them and serving them and giving them next steps, especially when people come back and say that was helpful. You can know if you're a teacher, if you give some next steps and you give some coaching, and then the next week somebody comes back and is like, hey, I tried the thing that you said, and it worked. That's some solid affirmation. Now, if you constantly give advice and no one's coming back to you saying it worked, you might not be a teacher. I don't know. It just, it just might not be there. And so there are people who want to be teachers, and there are people who are able to teach and to coach. I'd say if you're able to study and know and apply the truth of Scripture to others and give them application and lead them towards truth, you might be a teacher. And also if you're a storyteller, we connect through story. We love stories. And so if you are able to tell stories that reveal truths about yourself, reveal truths about the world and who they are in relationship to the world, in relationship to God, it's probably that you are a teacher. Now, at the end of the day, we're all called to teach. We're all called to know the truth. We're all called to know Jesus. And we're all called to imitate him and follow in his way. His way that leads to life, that leads towards freedom, that leads towards joy. And we're called to pass that wisdom and knowledge down to others. And so as we grow as teachers, there's some questions that we can begin to ask ourselves. If you want to throw those up there. The first question is... How is Jesus inviting me to know and imitate him? If you've got a smartphone, you can like, take a picture of it. It's also helpful if you write it down. You learn better when you write it down because you're imitating the words. Anyways, how is Jesus inviting me to imitate and know him? The second question is, who has he placed in my life that is worth imitating? So who in your life has God placed somebody where you're like, I could learn from that person. I should go and seek them out. Who is he calling you to learn from? The third question is, is what has he given me in my life that is worth imitating? And I don't want you to skip that question. I don't want you to skip that question because in our gut, in our false humility, we're like, I have nothing that's worth imitating. I have nothing to give to the world. And that is not the spirit and that is not the heart of the teacher. The teacher understands that they've been given something that's worth imitating. And they understand that what they've been given that's worth imitating is a gift. And so they are able to walk it out with humility and gentleness and kindness. The teacher who thinks that they've arrived somewhere on their own, they are the teacher that walks in pride, and they probably don't have anything to give you. They probably don't have anything that's worth imitating. But the person who arrives there with humility and with peace and understands that what they've been given to imitate is a gift will freely give it away 
will freely share with others. And so who is God calling you to invite into your life so that you can imitate the truth of who God is to them? Because we all need to grow. We all need to understand and know Jesus better. We all need to know and understand more Jesus more. And the reality is that each and every one of you have a piece of who Jesus is. You have a piece of the truth. You have an angle. You have a perspective. You have an experience of Jesus that I don't share, that I don't have, that I can't give, but you do, and I need it. So I need you to invite me into a place where I can come and learn from you, where I can come and imitate you as you grow in the knowledge and the love of Jesus. We need the teachers around us to rise. The reality is that teachers teach. And so if you've thought that you're a teacher and all you need is just the opportunity to have a platform to be able to give your conference, to be able to give your seminar, I just want to tell you right now is that if you're a teacher, you just teach. Don't wait for the platform. Don't wait for the conference. Don't wait for the seminar. But start meeting people where they at and, and start showing them a life that's worth imitating, that pursues truth, that follows Jesus, that invites people to say, come and imitate me as I imitate Jesus and as we can go towards Jesus together. The teachers that are among us, we need your leadership. We need it now. We need your wisdom. And we need you to show us what it is to follow Jesus. We need you to show us what it is to live life together and to share life. And we need you to show us what it is to love our neighbor. And so I encourage you this morning is that if you're a teacher, please rise and please take us on this journey towards Jesus with you. Amen.